Hey there. Thanks for joining me on Comedy Masterclass, where I interview creators about the craft of writing comedy. Today, I am very excited to have Leslie Lair with me to talk about writing her memoir, A Boob's Life, How America's Obsession Shaped Me and You, which I really enjoyed reading. And Selma Hayek has described as original, thought-provoking, and written with an elegant sense of humor, which is spot on. And she loved it so much that she also picked it up uh, to develop into a comedy series for HBO Max. But it's a beautifully written book. It's full of comedy in such interesting and nuanced way. So I'm very excited to talk to Leslie about it today. But before we dive in, Leslie, is there anything else that you'd like people to know about you and your work? Well, well you can find everything on my website, leslielair.com. I have a recent article actually about memoir and why it's so important on writersdigest.com. Um, and generally I, I post on Instagram and, and you know Facebook and all that under me. I'm constantly writing and I work with other writers. So mm. that's kind of my day job that lets me write whatever I want and be as funny as I want to be without caring, you know, how fast it sells or whatever. But this book has been a joy and I love talking about it. And it's so funny because there's such serious parts, but so much humor that it's been Mm. a real gift. And here comes my cat. Oh, (laughs) hello. Always welcome Uh, to the podcast. Hi, (laughs) Katsu. Wonderful. She's a publicity Anyway, And so I wanted to ask you about the concept because it's such a great concept saying I'm going to write a memoir is one thing coming up with a concept and all the different elements that you have and framing it in the way that you have is quite another. So I just wondered what key remote key moments you remember from the process of originating it or developing it as a concept. I had no intention of ever writing a memoir. I okay. did not want to talk about my breasts. I would be the last, New York Times now calls me the boob expert, and that is <laughs> so not what I wanted my reputation to be, especially <laughs> in my hometown in Ohio. Um, it completely came up uh, because of the circumstance, which is actually how I believe humor comes up as well in, in mm. my writing anyway. And I had gotten out of the shower one night. I had written about breasts and how I thought I had attracted my husband, my second husband, by being so sexy and, you know, showing my boobs and stuff. And then I got breast cancer and he's like stuck with me and it was amazing. And so that was a New York Times Modern Love essay that went viral. And I thought that I was never going to write about breast cancer at all. I didn't want to be that sad person. I didn't want to be identified as, you know, that kind of sad person. Um, And so I never wrote about it. I had no intention of writing about it. But then one night I got out of the shower Years later, my husband and I just had bought a condo and had an ocean view, and it had been the dream of my life. And he had promised me if I survived, he'd get me an ocean view. And and so we did have one for a few years. And the first night we got there, I was so excited, and my hair was starting to grow in. There were chemo curls, which is a real thing. And I'd had so many surgeries and gone through years of treatment. And I got out of the shower, and I, I like dropped my towel and saw myself in the mirror, and my nipples were just like, they were a joke. They, my breasts were not, I, I just, I was freaked out because I hadn't really looked in terms of me as being beautiful again. And the scene was more clownish and funny than, uh, you know, in a sad way. And I was so upset. And this was supposed to be our big date night. And my husband, I, I was so mad. I wanted to call my doctor and fix them as if they were broken. And my husband accused me of being obsessed. And I thought, I'm a feminist. How can I be obsessed with breasts? You know? So we sat down to watch TV and he had taped the last big show of David Letterman. And he had all the stars. And he in the United States is known as the intellectual comedian. And the first thing he did in his monologue was tell a boob joke. And I thought, okay, jokes about my boobs. This is not funny to me. 
and I'm mm-hmm. not the only one who's obsessed. And so my husband went to bed. You know how guys just fall asleep right away. So that was mm-hmm. very disappointing. I'm awake, staring at the ceiling. And then I went into the other room and I looked at this picture and it's in the book um, that made me laugh every time. And it was on the top of my moving boxes because it was my favorite picture of me and my sister and my mom were all in matching red bikinis. I'm three years old. My sister is one. And I laugh when I see this picture because she could not keep the red strip of cloth across her nipples. And it was so funny that she couldn't cover her nipples and you knew you had to do that. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I knew at three that nipples and breasts Mm -hmm. were taboo. This is a whole thing. And I, so I got on the computer and I thought somebody must've written about this already. And I look up breasts and it was all breast cancer and chicken recipes. And then I looked up (laughs) boobs and it was boob jokes and porn. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, I, this is my next book. And honestly, I, after chemo, my brain was not, I was really great analytically. I was doing a lot of developmental editing. I can, you know, diagram and really see how plots need to work, but the creative wellsprings were gone. And suddenly reading, you know, 150 nicknames for boobs and all these boob jokes and thinking my boobs were not a joke, you know, my whole life. I was a little girl wanting boobs and looking at beauty queens and growing up with the dad who had Playboy and little Annie Fanny, all the jokes in the back. And then I finally got some boobs and I had to hide them to get a job in Hollywood. And then I show them, you know, to be sexy and get a date. And then I use them to feed my kids. And then I was flat. And then my mom talked me into getting a boob job. And then I got remarried. And then they tried to kill me with breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And I thought women go through our entire lives with and it's really part of our lives and I wanted to explore what that meant to us how the culture made us feel about them how it related to everything and there were so many funny situations that were also you know some really serious situations and that night I just thought okay I have to write this and it has to be a memoir to use my experience as a nonfiction narrative and actually selling it at first I was like oh this is you know, it's a nonfiction narrative. It's uh, outside the box. It's not really memoir, but because it has all these facts and I had to move facts to connect the dots of stuff happening in the culture on fact pages and not include them in the actual memoir scenes, which are much more live scenes, you know, like you Mm -hmm. see in a film or a TV show, plus the analysis, which is part of memoir. You know, you do the scene, the summary, and then the analysis. So it was a very complex structure. And Mm. At the time, that made it very tricky to sell. So now I mm. tend to call it as a pop culture memoir. And as you said, it was picked up as a comedy series. That same week, it was number one in feminist literature on Amazon.com. You know, so mm. people think it's really scholarly and, you know, serious. And I get letters from, you know, breast cancer people. There's only two chapters of the 21 that are about that experience. But um, the humor rides all the way through it. So for Mm. me, it's wonderful to talk about how I was able to do that and where the humor comes from. And did you know that from the very beginning that you wanted that humor to go all the way through it? Was that like a non-negotiable right? I, you know, I didn't become a writer. Um, I started working in Hollywood and, you know, thought I can make better movies and I don't want to see these movies. And I was working in production and then I had kids and I started getting more serious about my writing. And I really started writing Um, kind of to vent all my complaints about how crappy it was to be at home as a new mom. And this was really hard. And where are all the other people? And why is what happened in my career and all that kind of stuff. And so I wrote these essays that were funny. 
you know, like, mm-hmm. oh gosh, here I am. And look at this. And my dad would call and say, what do you do all day? And I'm like, cover the spit up on, you don't want to know dad, you know, it's like, but it was, I just write about the humor and context of the situation. So mm. all of my essays kind of have that tone, that light tone, even when I'm talking about serious stuff. So it was really a natural part of my voice. And then when I would go into it, of course, I wanted to make sure to hit those funny notes. Mm. And some of the biggest scenes in the book turn on that humor that then you go, oh, you know. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the things I really loved and admired and was like, how did you do that so consistently across the book? And I don't yeah, know if you I- have an answer to that because I can kind of get my head around essays and maintaining the tone for that and that then filtering through to voice. But I thought it really did look like a structural feat to take us through the whole chronology of your personal story. And we see those relationships developing in different ways and all the the different things that happen from like fun shopping things to as tragic as it can be when life is literally threatened by something like cancer. How did you manage to weave the tone across the whole arc that's what really I found daunting from the outside well it was definitely planned I mean that moment in the dressing room when we were Victoria's Secret and I was flat chested and about Mm -hmm. to have my 38th birthday and my mother saw my chest and called me deformed it's like I always expect people to laugh at that but people when they read it are like horrified until my next line and then I'm Mm -hmm. like they're supposed to be like that you didn't do this and then you know we have a funny conversation but that was like verbatim really happened. And I think in life, we try to make light of these serious moments. Mm. You know, some people when they're upset will laugh. And mm. um, for me, going back to planning that, oh yeah. I mean, originally I thought this will be essays, but then to have that continuum of how it affects us, even with the movies and the music and pick up a magazine, you know, about boobs or who's showing the boobs and who's not showing them. I really did work on the structure to make it all connect and have, you know, different goals along the way. And as you know, um, my husband now is John Truby, who's a big structure guy. And I actually took his class in the eighties and um, used his structure in every single thing I've ever sold, you know, from the New York times essays to books, to screenplays, to nonfiction and fiction. And so structure is, I mean, I've been in debates at Barnes and Noble of, you know, plotters versus pantsers. And I work with a lot of writers. For me, it really is all about building that structure that then Mm. you can hang the jokes on, you know? And so I think that things where comedy may have started in a real slapstick kind of thing with Buster Keaton and the Three Stooges, which is humor I don't really get as a woman. Like, I don't want things Mm. messy. I don't want people hurt, you know? Mm. So (laughs) as humor developed... I can see the humor in situations that kind of let me live a better life and 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 make light of things that let me understand them better. And also distance helps. Mm-hmm. So I definitely felt that, you know, this was a, a way to get humor. Like, you know, when we did get married, I mean, you know, these situations sometimes write themselves. As we, he wanted a wedding. I'd been married for 20 years earlier, had kids. And, you know, his elderly parents were there. And the woman who did my dress, like, put in these foam bumps for like newlywed girls who want big boobs. And, and mm-hmm. I hadn't really had time to try them out, try the dress on. We'd been in such a hurry. My, my car broke down that day. You know, I had one daughter who like couldn't find her and um, getting wrestling everyone in and trying to stay on a budget. And mostly I was so afraid my boobs were going to like pop out if I raised my arm in the ceremony, wearing mm-hmm. a strapless dress. And so it's like, why do so many people have strapless dresses? Who has this happened mm-hmm. to? You know, the, and so 
the thing about a memoir, it's, it's really curated experiences. And so mm. I could add the things that made things funny and still were able to express the point. And I think mm. that's the thing that people don't understand about memoir is that it's not a biography. And what I like to say is if my life is a house, I'm showing you one room on my house. And mm. in this case, maybe it's my lingerie closet, you know, <laughs> where my naughty things are. But it does connect to the rest of the house. But I'm not telling you a lot of things that don't have to do with this. And I feel like humor is that same kind of thing that you can do to go from not joke to joke, but story to story and bring out the humor of it so that people can enjoy it. I mean, who wants mm. to read a serious book, you know? And I do get serious in times I talk about how, you know, the effects of how we judge our bodies and judge other women. And in America, it really holds us back in terms of the laws that are against us and how we get trapped by our biology. And I encourage people to vote. But, you know, I try to space those more serious parts and weave them into things and have plenty of humor. So it's like, you know, Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar makes the uh, medicine go down, right? Yeah, totally. And also means that I think, because I'm sure so many of us have been affected by cancer of different kinds. And for me, the idea of staying in a memoir that would stay in like the most intense, painful, sad space for an extended amount of time might be too much on a night, you know, a day where I finished work and I've still got six things to do. Whereas yours, it felt it was it was that honesty that I connected with as a woman and a fellow human, but also that I um, could trust that I could handle the experience on like I read it in almost one sitting and if I if oh. I hadn't had like my eyes being too close to go to sleep I would have continued but I like then started it again the next morning because um it really was like an enjoyable experience too in the best way of the brain being stimulated to think about things I hadn't thought about things I had thought about but not expressed as well as you things that gave me a new perspective on things that were validating things that like made me feel seen things where I was like um, oh, I had no idea that that was like uh, like some of the stats. Like I really loved the way it was interspersed. It was a very like engaging, stimulating, enjoyable experience as well as being filled with that human emotion. And then the humor I thought just was brilliant. Um, and it, you. and you make it look really easy, but I know it's not. So <laughs> that's why I wanted well, to you know, ask you about Some it. of it is and some of it isn't. But I got to say, you know, boobs are ripe. I mean, you know, mm. just the word boob is funny. And, um, you know, everybody has a boob story and we don't talk about, like, I didn't want to call it a breast's life, you know, Mm, that's no (laughs) boob's life. I can talk about it. It's like an object and that's kind of, you know, part of the Mm. thing that's been objectified. But even I get judgmental and talk to think, oh, people with big boobs are slutty or stupid and, you know, people with flat, Mm. flat or intellectual. And it's like, oh God, I mean, I'm judging myself. I mean, I have breast implants. I have tons of scars, whatever, but it's like. I'm better because I did it for this reason. And it's, it's mm. kind of irrelevant. Only like recently I realized that, oh, all the women who have breast reconstruction after cancer, mm. how is that so different than someone having breast implants because they want to be a, like a woman or a trans person who immediately gets mm. breast to identify as a woman? It's a gender thing. And then you get mm-hmm. these facts like men look at a woman's breast within 200 milliseconds of them entering room. And I'm looking at, oh, I can see the cartoon, you know, like mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny with the eyes going boing. But then yes. it's, it's, it's that advertising and, you know, um, so many elements capture that instinct to keep men's mm-hmm. eyes on our boobs, to make our boobs this thing where we can call them boobs instead of this yeah. part of our body. 
but the humor was just, I mean, it was just there for the taking, you know, I mean, and that's, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I feel like life can be a lot lighter if we, if we treat it that way. And, and, Mm. you know, also I think short, shorter chapters help and having Mm -hmm. that kind of mix helps. So you don't get really bogged down. And, and as I say, it's the, the book is framed by, you know, am I going to fix my boobs again? You know, I Mm. went through all this stuff with cancer. How did I get here my whole life? But then it starts kind of at the beginning and goes through this Mm. American history of, you know, listening to songs and seeing all these movies and videos and all the women in Playboy. And, and it's, Mm. if you look at it, it's like, you got to laugh because you, the people we're in Playboy are astounding, you know, and Victoria's Secret, which is a huge deal. And, you know, I mean that the, the whole TV show that millions of people were talking about, they were able to have women walking around in underwear and have like a $15 million bra made of diamonds. That was like a crown for boobs. I mean, yeah. you gotta laugh or else you're going to cry. Like oh, yeah. what is wrong with this picture? You know? Yeah. And I, even I know with Kate Middleton or, you know, mm. or whatever her formal title is. Um, I mean, she first came onto the scene. What I heard is that she, she modeled in a lingerie fashion show at a school mm. thing. That's where, you know, her husband met her and then they broke up and we're back together. But it's like, there is an effect that the women's body has on men. And if we look at mm. it in all a negative way, then we're missing out half the picture because we all mm. have boobs. They're wonderful. They're, you know, they give life, they can kill us and they're yeah. beautiful. They're part of women's beauty. And there's also a lot of humor. And so I guess mm. I would want to not have bad humor. I don't like being fun mm. of for boobs. But the fact that even I still lean towards doing that, it's like, I have to stop myself. I mean, it's, it's mm. real, but I definitely love, you know, the whole humor. And, and even at the end of the book, I mean, I guess you'll have to read the end of the book. I mean, at some point I, I decide if I'm going to do them again, but there's a whole new chapter that brings us up to 2023 mm. because I always dreamed of being, you know, a beauty queen as a little girl and didn't have the boobs or Miss America. And then at the end, I actually got invited to be in a parade. And that was a whole different experience and kind of brought the story to a hilarious and touching ending. So for me, I really like weaving humor into these more mm. knowing moments. I think it gets yeah. us into kind of deeper places and, and as you said, a more readable way. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And like you said, and I think that also to me maps to life, as you say, you've touched on some of those situations because sometimes we act like we don't laugh at funerals or with yeah, someone who's yeah. sick in a hospital or, and I know each circumstance is different, but many of us do for all kinds of reasons yeah. to break tension, to connect, to yes. like get after enough the funeral, distance. And after yeah. the funeral, you go to the party and you eat mm. and you laugh and you talk about the yeah. good memories, you know, so there's yeah. that yin, yin and yang, I guess. Yeah. totally and you said that it was um difficult to sell partly because I mean that it seems hard to believe now seeing the finished book but had you finished the book when you sold it or were you selling it on a pitch what was that process like for you no I definitely wrote the whole book but then nobody wanted to read the book they wanted to read the proposal you know and so I had I sold it on the proposal and uh sample chapters but the book had been written and I actually had you know, comedy TV interests before book interest. And that was mm. weird because it had to do with the category of selling, you know, mm. and it's like all of us who, all of your, you know, listeners who are interested in comedy and writing, there's not a humor part of the bookstore, right? I mm. mean, there is, but it's Dave Barry. It's all these mm. people who are just comics. And, but so many books have humor in them. And I, when this book, the hardback came out during COVID, that's why I'm so excited now that 
it's almost been better for me. I'm on tour with the paperback and I have all this new information because so much has happened in the last two years. But mm-hmm. during COVID, when I was finally vaccinated and went to New York City just to sign books in Barnes & Noble, the manager said, where do you want this, in nonfiction or in biography? There mm-hmm. wasn't, there's not even a memoir section, which I write about in writersdigest.com. And biography is all celebrities, and that's how they sell the most books that are in that memoir category. And then nonfiction, there was a book about toxic breast milk. You know, there were biology mm-hmm. books, but there was nothing that had this hybrid situation. And so it was very, I think it was the categorization of agents who are trying to sell a book to mm-hmm. say, oh, it's this kind of book, you know? And I'm like, well, it's a little of everything. It's mm-hmm. the, this nonfiction narrative from the lens of my personal experience, you know, because I want women to relate to this, to, like you said, to think of, oh, I felt like this about our, my boobs. I mean, every morning we get up mm-hmm. and we decide, mm-hmm. Are we going to wear a bra? What kind of bra are we going to wear? Are we going to push our boobs up, hide them, push them down? Since COVID, maybe this wear a sports bra or nothing. Do we have to cover our nipples? Where are we going? Who are we going to see? Do we want it to match our outfit? Do we want it to match our panties? How do we feel yeah. about, you know, I mean, everything. We really do have to think about them consciously or unconsciously every day. So mm. I just kept, actually, I just kept sending my agent chocolates constantly. Right. It's like, let's try it again. Let's try these other people. Just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that timing is is really important when in selling a book. Mm. Um, depending on if you're writing a certain genre, you know, and you have a series and have a following. And and I've just have been used to going the traditional method because I've been writing for a long time. And um I'm much better at writing than I'm at marketing. I'd love, rather have somebody mm. else do that. And so I, yeah. I keep choosing the traditional route. So yeah. that, that so then it's all about how to sell it. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. And I wanted to return um, to a craft point, so a slightly left turn, but it's something that you mentioned when you were describing writing um, the sort of the personal stories as scenes and thinking of them as scenes. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting the way that you uh, described that. And I think it's incredibly helpful far more helpful for many fiction writers than thinking in chapters necessarily. So I I think before I started writing screenwriting books, I really struggled to think of how to structure things. And I think scene writing has been a gift in terms of actually thinking of scenes. I wondered if you wouldn't mind elaborating a little bit more because you're so good at it, that you do it so quickly and so deftly. What elements do you consider when you're thinking of writing that scene? Thank you so much. I honestly, I'm a really visual person and I can't, even when I'm writing gosh, essays, because my essays generally also have a scene. I generally kind of graduate, I'll write an essay and then I'll write a book. Um, Mm. But the books, I can't really write something unless I already see it as a movie in my head. Mm. So I'm playing out that scene. And then when I revise, I have to like change the scene in my head and then write that down. You Mm. know, so that's, I just write in a very visual way. And with, um, when you're planning it out, I would say, and when I work with writers, I, I just really encourage people to do the scene list or the event list first. I mean, mm-hmm. and I had a folder for every subject in this book and put all my research and I would write things in that topic. And uh, most of them did become then chapters, but to string them along, I already had started with an event list of here's all the things that happen and then kind of put a line in of, Oh, there's a chapter, there's a chapter, there's a chapter. And of course, every chapter in any kind of book needs to have a whole new story question and a goal Mm. and obstacles and a climax and a resolution. 
but it's it's not the overall story. It just picks up to the next level. So I, mm. I like to think of chapters as stories in themselves, but you can't start there or you'll get an episodic story, which is the enemy mm-hmm. of any novel or any, any memoir. It's a TV series rather than a movie, you know, and you need to have, if you're writing a book, you have to have that long-term goal and then all the little stories in between. So I always start with the, the events in order and then say, okay, there's a chapter. And then once I have the chapters, I work really hard to make it a story. And obviously, as you said, you know, I have to see it, I write it. And then, um, you know, the, the kind of strategy of writing scenes or writing memoir is this three point, um, scene summary analysis. So you do the Mm -hmm. kind of live scene that happens and then you uh, kind of say, Oh, here's what really happened, you know, and then here's how it applies to what I'm trying to talk about or why it happened and done well, the reader will not notice this at Mm -hmm. all. But this is mm. also why I, I've worked with, in fact, in the UK, I was working with a memoir writer recently, and he was just too close to the story, you know, mm. and he had the money and he had the time now right, to write it. And I, so I helped him as much as I could, but he still could have was undetermined which direction he wanted to go in. And you really do need some distance to figure out what is the overall story question, even of a memoir. It's not a documentary. You know, you can't just mm. write. And I have that problem. It's sometimes just a couple of words make the difference. You don't want to tell the story of what happened. You want to have a story of discovery so that, mm. you know, even if it already happened, the reader is discovering it with you. And the the kind of wonderful thing I have discovered in that memoir, not that I plan to ever write another one, is that you discover a lot along the way. I mean, it's even, but at a distance is the only way you can do it. And to relive things through having that scene in your head, you know, is, is a big deal. And, and I, I've always been a bookworm my whole life, except for like, you know, college where I only read college books and probably people in high school wouldn't realize I was such a bookworm, but going up to that. And since I was, um, but I did, I was kind of trained more from the screenplay school of making Mm. these vivid and using verbs and not wasting words, you know, and Mm. I treat every page like a valuable piece of real estate. I don't Mm. want to repeat things. I don't want to have words that like too many thes or, weak verbs that need would or, you know, be able to, I want to have things that are colorful that I can see because the worst thing in a book. And I tell, I was writing to a client today is we have to be the camera. You know, we don't have the whole crew to show the movie in a book. All we have is words and we need to show them what's in our head because we're imagining it, you know? So we have to put that picture on the page and it is a translation and it is not easy. So mm. it takes a lot of revisions, but if you can picture it, it's easier to just start that way. For me, I just, that's how I work visually, you know? Yeah. And the scenes are very successful uh, in that Thank way. You. Like I, I, it was so uh, easy to read, I say, which is a hard thing, isn't it? That yeah. you actually make that magic happen of the words leaping to the scene. Thank but you. I feel like I know exactly what these characters look like and exactly what was happening <laughs> and where you. people were and what the reactions were. So yeah. well, um, it takes a lot of re- thinking for every word mm. on the page, you know, and then a lot of revisions. You yeah. know, it's not just a one slap, but even the scenes that existed in real life, you know, to, to figure out where they go and mm. how they build to what you're trying to say is tricky and where to stop you know, and Mm. where to infuse internal dialogue, um, Mm. you know, of what I was thinking then or what I'm thinking now about what was happening Mm. then. That's the tricky Mm. part of memoir. You know, it's not just the story of your life. It's not just 
Mm. George Washington was here. Queen Elizabeth did this. It's like, you know, we watch, I watch all this crown and all, all I'm huge in all the historic shows, you know, about England and the documentaries, some of them, you know, the older ones are just, here's what happened. But when you are following a character who wants to do something, you know, that's fantastic. And that's even why some of the more recent ones, you know, have a lot of humor. There's a lot more people mm. watching them. So mm. you can make your memoir funny, then you'll get people like you, you know, you'll pick it up at the end of a hard day because you know, yeah. it's not, you're not going to be, oh gosh, you know. Yeah, totally. But there's so much more in the book. And I think that was just a great way to do it, to have the humor mm. to it. So some people totally, obviously, you know, I mean, the most money I've gotten for it are people who think it's a comedy. So, right. you know, right. and um, otherwise some people are, you know, think it's, everyone gets what you can out of every book. Mm. It's all your personal experience. And so, and there's it's, pictures um, too. There's funny pictures. Yeah, so. there are. The pictures yeah. were lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and as I say, like, I do, I do think it's um, very funny, but I really appreciated all the other elements too, because that's the thing as, as humans, many of us that love comedy and are drawn to comedy are actually really interested in ideas and philosophy and existential things and history. And as you've, you've got a really interesting blog post as well about it being history. So recontextualizing right. things, language, we want many things, but the yeah. comedy is like an, an important ingredient of that. Yeah. So I understand why we have to because of marketing, but it gets so reductive, doesn't it? To just put that one, it's one ridiculous. On. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I feel like I hope Barnes and Noble reads my writersdigest.com thing because it's like, why is there no memoir? But also because, you know, they're going to sell famous people biographies more, even mm. those memoirs. And so it's really yeah. about the numbers. And now the publishing industry has just, you know, it's business. There's a lot of conglomerates. There's less small imprints. And um, so it's a gamble. And then those of us who write because we have to write, we're just going to mm. do it anyway. And that's why yeah. people are starting to self-publish. But yeah, writing funny is good. I mean, I, I even though I write more serious stuff, like after this, I have another no novel that I'm, is, um, oh, there's definitely some humor, but it's it's a much mm. bigger novel. And But at the end of the day, I go for the funny books. You know, I go for mm. light stuff. Uh, you know, life is hard. So for me to be able to write, uh, you know, a whole life story with a lot of humor. It's fun for me too. It's fun to write, yeah. fun to read. And if I'm not laughing, no one else is going to laugh, right? If I'm mm. not crying, nobody else is going to cry. So I really yeah. feel like in your own work, it's important to be entertaining. Yeah. yeah. That makes total sense. And I also love what you said about um, distance. And it's something that I've thought of before in relation to memoir, but I sort of see through a new lens. Now you're talking about it with the humor too, because thinking about different situations, if I was like, okay, what would my different boob stories be? There were ones that were funny at the time and there were ones that were not. But now I might like recast them as something where there is humor and you get the scope of, like you say, of going through that journey where people might be a bit horrified and then oh. actually there is some humor. But it needs yeah. that distance that like you say to think about how to shoot yeah. and then represent uh, that scene. Yeah, I was but, horrified that my boobs were going to pop out of my wedding. Yeah. And be totally embarrassed and look like a floozy. I was like a girl, yeah. you know. But at the moment I was. But now looking back, it's like mm. <laughs> that was pretty funny. You know, yeah. <laughs> how did that happen? And why didn't I think of it in dance? And oh my gosh, you know. I love that. That's so, wonderful. Yeah. And are there, probably not for, for memoir, because yours is a really unique um, way of structuring it, but are there any particular either fiction books or films that you really do love and appreciate for their humor? And I know that could be hard sometimes on the spot to, to think yeah, of different ones. That is hard. Honestly, the 
the book that I've, I, I read so many books. I mean, that's I'm sure. But you know what? That's part of the joy of being a writer. It's like, oh, so yeah. I'm doing homework now. This is yeah. research. But um, I really felt that there, you've probably heard of, you know, Lessons in Chemistry, which is number one forever. Bonnie mm. Garmouth, I think is her name. And it's, if you look at it one way, it's just real feminist story mm. that's a murder mystery. And yet the juxtaposition of the, um, you know, it's a historical novel, right? It's in the 50s. And being able to look at that situation versus our conceptions now, even though mm. a lot of the situations are the same. Same with my uh, boobs life. It's like a lot of the situations that used to happen 40 years ago are still happening. Some are happening even worse. And so um, contextually, there's a lot of humor. And I feel like with her too, just by experiencing it from that distance, it's it, there's some humor in it. But yeah. um, I, I read it's so vastly and so wildly. It's it's yeah, it's tricky to pull out of one book. Yeah, and, but that's I a great think, example. Yeah, but I also think there's, um, you know, you don't have to read everything that's out there. I encourage people to read everything, not just definitely in their genre. And don't be afraid. You're never going to copy of someone else's book because that's really hard to do. You might mm. take a couple of tips from them, but also you're going to have your voice and you're going to do it your way. And um, so it's it's not. I, I just encourage people to read as widely as they can. They can now. Generally, I do read things written by women, because hmm. although hmm. it's interesting, because I work with both men and women as writers, and um, I just something there's a sensibility that has the kind of humor that I like more. Hmm. Where and like like I said, I guess my humor comes from situations and from the juxtaposition of my expectations and how it really happens. You know, hmm. um, whereas men maybe are coming from a different place you know or some are great actually this book i have gotten so many emails from men who like grabbed it because of the cover because it has like this right. woman with these pointy boobs on the cover yeah and said oh man i thought this was just going to be this this you know sexy kind of funny thing and then that they really like it you know and i've, mm. I've talked to women who whose sons are like sneaking it and reading it and I'm getting letters. I mean, you always get the letters where people just are, you know, creepy or want to hit on you, but there's been people, guys who are really enjoying this book. And it's certainly, I don't advertise it as being for men, but man, it would be fantastic if more guys, mm. you know, were able to read it and say, wow, I have no idea what it's like to live in a woman's body. And just to be, just to not want to walk outside at night because it could be dangerous or, you know, be afraid someone's going to hit on you or, or whatever. And what do you do with your body? I mean, they, you know, men don't have that instant identification of, of their gender, but the humor is different too. So, mm. um, I mean, I definitely look for funny things at night and I'm a, I'm easy prey for Hallmark movies too, just cause I know I always yeah. know where they're going to end. I'm going to laugh at stupid yeah. stuff. I don't have to be, have a brain teaser all the time. You yeah. Know? So, but that's why and, there's, you know, fact books, fact pages in my book mm. because it like just the history of Victoria's secret or, all the myths mm. about boobs that people think, you know, are ma magically boobs do or, you know, or then also stuff about like the government, you know, things that happen. Mm. When you see things in order, it's really interesting. And I did have structural questions about where to put those. Right now they're between the chapter. They Like there's a whole thing on cheerleading that's after, oh my God, all the cheerleaders and the sexy cheerleading mm. costumes and Miss America and 1998, Miss USA, like 90% like of those women had boob jobs you know it's like how much boobs swimsuit competition was just canceled in this america and the women got death threats the women who changed that i mean but 
did I put them at the end? And then the story would have probably been better all at once. But then I thought nobody was going to read them. So I had to be very careful to have them in, in between the chapters, but make sure that the chapter hook was strong enough that the person mm-hmm. would get to the next chapter, you know, so that it was one story, like you said, you know. I really liked where they were placed and the play of them. I really enjoyed that. And I thought yeah. it was really skillfully done. So, Good. yeah. That was one thing I moved back and forth when they didn't sell them. Right. Like, oh, come back. No, I yeah. want more, you know. And did you um, get feedback or solicit feedback at any point? I mean, it sounds like you went into the process with a very strong outline and obviously lots of skills and tools to use. But if so, what was that process like for you, uh, trying to get helpful feedback on something that's also a very personal book? I love feedback. Um, Mm. For me, I think anyone who reads closely enough to have an opinion is giving me a gift. You know, Mm. it's like, I, I, when the first draft is the hardest, you have to have it down. And then when it's, it's down, I'm so close to the material you know, mm-hmm. there's a difference also between having feedback on the story versus the prose, mm. you know, and yeah, got to have the story down and then you can work on the prose. And some, I think it's helpful to know if you're talking too much about something or they want to know more. And I did have two chapters that were combined. Um, uh, in fact, there's a whole chapter about wedding dresses and why there's so many were strapless and that we, we, the history of it kind of put it down into a couple paragraphs because it wasn't as strong as some of the other part. And yeah, I miss it, but I always figure I have my draft and then I have the draft that people who make their living selling books know will sell better, you know? And uh, the only times I really, I, it wasn't edited much for content at all. The only times I had an argument was when some, and this is funny, but um, there was like a young woman who was 25 who said, oh, you can't call it women's lib. That's derogatory. And I'm like, I was alive during that time. And that's why we called it. That, you know, mm. so I had to say sorry, but I would make it so that I could, I would give her do exactly what she said in something that I felt less yeah. was less important, and so yeah. I'm like, this is just staying. But um, generally, I think people don't have to read all your words, and if they care mm. enough to give an opinion, however, when there are other writers, then you have to be very careful that they're not projecting, you know, mm. their wishes or their story or seeing what they identify as weak in theirs. So, but if it's mm. somebody who's on your team, who you're paying or is part of your publishing team, then that's fantastic. Otherwise, it's really important to stay true to, you know, how you want the story to be. And I just felt like this is the story. You know, if you want that book, that's a different book. So yeah. I was willing to wait. And, um, and I think I probably had somebody wanted it earlier and wanted more changes, I would have jumped. But it was, I kind of, you know, they're... It was, it was like a done deal. This was the book and, you know, and I'm kind of glad I didn't make any changes, but then, and it's also so subjective. I mean, when you, after all that struggle and have good morning America, call it a must read and people magazine had a mm. picture of it and glamour magazine. It's like all these unusual people and publishers weekly, the people who counted, who thought this mm. was a fantastic book. Then I just want to say, oh, so that's right. You know, sometimes you have yeah. to trust your instincts, yeah. you know, totally. because we're constantly breaking the mold and you don't want to write. I mean, unless you're writing a genre, a genre series and you want to hit, mm. of course, we want to hit the beats that the reader wants to hit. But if you're writing something that that is important to you, having a story that's unique. And in fact, I just finished reading. I just finished judging the Women's Fiction Writers Association Rising, Rising Star Contest. And I mm. had this question because in the last round, 
there was one story that was fantastically written, but I've heard it before. There was another story that needed work. And I would say, start it here and do this. But it was so unique. It was a much more compelling mm. story. And so mm. I think there's there's a, a happy marriage where it's important to be unique and also write it really well. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Because once you, have- you write a book, it's there forever. It's in the Library of Congress here. You guys probably have a similar thing in the UK. But it's someone can find it. And that's why I also discourage people from writing a draft and publishing it on Amazon. It's like there's a lot mm. of crappy writing out there. And your name is on it, you know? Mm. And even when I have clients, sometimes I'll like work way beyond what they're paying me for. Cause it's like, if anyone knows I worked on it, it's like, it mm. needs to be good, you know? Right. Uh, and I do also always encourage people to have, you know, a light hand and humor and not be so luxury. Mm. You know, nobody picks mm-hmm. up a book to be lectured unless they're in school. So. Mm. True. And well, you did a fabulous job. I've just got one more question before we wrap up, um, which is we always wrap, wrap up with advice. So you have had an amazing career. We've only touched on a tiny, tiny portion of it today. There's so much that you've done uh, as a writer and within Hollywood and in multiple different roles. Is there any advice that you've been given that you found really helpful and still find yourself applying? Or also, I know that you're very generous and um, you work with lots of writers in a mentoring and teaching capacity. So any advice that you find yourself giving time and time again to writers of comedy? I would say save everything. Mm. You know, if you think of something funny, write it down and put it in a file because you might be able to use it later and always keep a notebook with you or a phone. And if you have a funny idea, write it down because I used to think that the funniest stuff will stay with me. They don't always Mm. because stuff will Mm. come up, you know, (laughs) So I always try to keep like things that I'll look back on, but also something that seems really simple is titles are really important. Mm. I mean, who knows if my book would not have sold had it not been called a boobs life. Right. And I knew that title the very first time. And sometimes titles come at the end. Sometimes titles come at the, at the beginning. Um, But it's the importance of the first words people say the first sentence, mm. the first page, the first chapter, that's all you've got to grab a reader. And so it needs to set the tone for the book. Mm. That would be my biggest advice. That's really good advice. And actually, I had a whole question around that at the beginning because it's such a good title and set the tone so well. So mm-hmm. I'm glad that uh, you've covered that there too. So well, what's funny you. is yeah. somebody asked me if it was it was a take on A Bug's Life, which is oh. this, you know, and I I'm didn't like, make no, that no, connection. No. It, it, it was an animated movie called A Bug's Life. Yeah, Disney yeah. And I, but, mm. but for me, it was actually take off on A Boy's Life, which was this famous, oh. you know, classic okay. memoir. And so it also talks about the, my age versus the person who asked me this question. Mm. But whatever works is okay. So that's another thing. We put it out there and you take whatever. But it's still yeah. funny, no matter what the reference it is. is, even if it's not a boob's life. And it tells the whole story. This is the life, mm. life mm-hmm. from my boobs perspective. So, yeah. yeah, perfect. Perfect. And not easy to do. So really good advice yeah. to think about that. Thank and you. Leslie, you've given so much wonderful advice today. Thank you very much. Um, where should people go if they want to find out more about you and your work and your fabulous books? Oh, definitely go to my website, lesleylayer.com, which is L-E-S-L-I-E-L-E-H-R. But if you Google a boobs life, you will see my website and if you go on there. Um, you know, I, I do a newsletter every month and um, some, sometimes I don't, but it usually, 
usually has some writing tips as well as, you know, where I am. I'm kind of traveling all over the United States right now. Love to come back to England and do a signing there. Mm. I actually found, have been get, getting letters from people in the Netherlands who found it in their library. So I guess anywhere Wonderful. who's English speaking. Yeah, although I did radio thing just last week from Spain. So um, I love getting feedback. I'd love to hear your boob story and um, any comments you have. And I do talk about my other books and consultations as well on my, on my website. But you can get, there's also a book club, like fun questions to ask in a book club. This is a fantastic book for book clubs mm. because everyone has a book story. And I love visiting book, uh, book clubs. You know, I can always pop in on Zoom and answer your questions in person. I'm happy to do that. You know, oh, and then I'll try to talks for Novel Network. Yeah. But, you know, there's so many subjects in this book, even those that we haven't covered. So dive in and you'll no. find something to entertain you. Wonderful. And I'll put those links in the show notes. Thank, Thank you, you so much for writing such a fun book. And it's been wonderful talking to you today. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Love your boobs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>